0: Today, our scripture comes from Genesis 6, verses 5 to 22. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens for i am sorry that i have made them but noah found favor in the eyes of the lord these are the generations of noah noah was a righteous man blameless in his generation noah walked with god and noah had three sons shem ham and japheth now the earth was corrupt in god's sight and the earth was filled with violence And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you are to make it. The length of the ark, 300 cubits. Its breadth, 50 cubits. <laughs> and take with you every sort of food that is eaten, and store it up. It shall serve as food for you and for them. Noah did this, and he did all that God commanded him. The prophet Isaiah declares that the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. And friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. My, how things have changed. That is a phrase that we sometimes use to reflect on how different society is now than when it was in our childhood, or to reflect on how different someone is now than they were in the past, for better or for worse. My, how things have changed certainly applies to Genesis chapter six. Because in Genesis one to two, we were presented with a picture of God's good world, of a garden where humanity dwelled in the direct presence of their creator, a world without selfishness, greed, violence, murder, or revenge. And yet then Genesis 3 shows how humanity bought the lie that what we want for ourselves is better than what God wants for us. And our sin against him meant we could no longer dwell in paradise or in the direct presence of God. Because there is no paradise apart from the presence of God. And so sin and evil began to spread throughout the world like a virus as we rejected God's ways and substituted our own. As the years go by, humanity begins to fill the earth. And evil also begins to grow to a fever pitch. So much so that God finally says, enough is enough. In Genesis 1, if you recall, we read repeatedly, and God saw that it was good as he looks out at his creation. But by the time we get to Genesis 6-5, what God sees is that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Continually. How truly awful of an assessment is that on the human race? The word in Hebrew for heart in this passage doesn't just refer to emotions either. It refers to to thoughts, actions, morality. Every part of the human being is focused on doing evil, committing wrong and immoral actions. That's what God is communicating here. In fact, if you've seen... Uh, the Lord of the Rings movies, uh, you know a little bit about what that kind of corruption looks like. If you think of the hobbit Schmeagel, as he becomes more and more obsessed with the ring, morphs into this creepy, ugly-looking, obsessive creature that is wretched and despicable. He becomes deeply corrupted, and that really is the kind of corruption verses 11 to 12 are talking about. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. What was once God's good earth was now filled with violence, and this surely included murder, oppression, war, and exploitation, at the very least. And so understandably, as God sees this, he is grieved. It grieves him to see what his creatures who are made in his image and likeness, are doing to his creation and to one another. And he feels regret at even having created humanity. And so as he looks upon all of this, he essentially says, enough is enough. God responds to humanity's wickedness by bringing justice for the injustice in the world. He is going to flood the earth and wipe out humanity. Now, Romans 6.23 really mirrors the truth of this passage. The wages of sin is death. And we know that this is not some sort of arbitrary act on God's part. It's not like he woke up on the wrong side of the bed one day and thought, oh, these people are just annoying. Let me just wipe them out. No, he's, he's doing this because of the violence in the world. He's bringing judgment And giving humanity what is deserved. And really, it's at this point that God could just say, we're done. I'm done with all of my endeavors with humanity. He could wipe out the entire human race. He could start over with Mars. He could have a perfect world of Martians. That would be weird. But he could do it if he wants to. He could say, we're done. No more humanity. But verse 8. But Noah found favor in the eyes of of the lord while god sent judgment on the world he also extended his grace to noah now noah finding favor with god is not saying something like god thought noah was his favorite the idea of favor here is talking about grace that god chose to show grace to noah noah walked with god he followed god he was a righteous man but Keep in mind, righteousness is not the same as sinlessness. God extends his grace to an imperfect people. He chooses to spare Noah and his family along with some of everything he has cre- created. He's going to restart with them. Because he's determined ultimately to continue his plan with humanity. And in fact, what makes Noah righteous in the first place Was that he trusted God? He and his family will not be swept away in the flood of God's judgment. They will be saved through the ark, which will keep them afloat. Now, this story, this account, really reminds us of two crucial truths. The first one is that God brings judgment for sin, and judgment is actually what we deserve. You see, the people of the world in Noah's day were wicked and violent. But is our world so very different today? People get away with all sorts of crimes because they bribed someone or they knew a guy. Countries go to war with other countries, killing innocent people in their wake. People are enslaved by those who don't value human life and care only for money. People can't get life-saving treatments because companies put profit over people. Corruption often runs rampant in different government offices. In our own hearts, our own hearts are sinful as well. I mean, I think I am a really great person until I get into an argument with my wife and realize that I am a completely selfish jerk. And you know what? I've extended that selfishness toward God as well. How often does our own selfishness win over serving others? How often do we disregard God's ways for our own? How ugly do we get when we don't get what we want? How often do we harbor hatred and bitterness in our hearts? How many times do we sneakily try to get out of obeying God? And it's all sin. It's all a crime against our Creator. It all says to the one who gave us life and breath, I don't want you or your ways, I want my ways. Regardless of the sin, The wages of sin is death, just as it was in Noah's day. And so like the people of Noah's day, we deserve to be swept away in God's judgment. And while judgment is what we deserve, for all who trust in Jesus, grace is what we actually receive. You see, as God rescued Noah and his family from being swept away in the flood, so he has chosen to rescue us from being swept away in his eternal judgment. Now that's not because we deserve it. It's not because we're better than anybody else. It's not because we did something special to God for God to notice us or to earn it. We are saved from God's wrath and judgment because Jesus earned our rescue for us. So that rather than remove us for our sin, God removed our sin from us through Jesus. The questions we ponder, starting in Genesis 3, is how can our sin problem be fixed? How can we dwell with God again like we did in the garden? How can sin be removed from us without removing us from life? And the answer is Jesus. God, the Son who obeyed God perfectly, who was sinless, and though did not deserve it, endured God's judgment on our behalf. It's as if he were the one swept away in the flood, and we were the ones put on the ark. He saves us from what we deserve. He gives us what we don't deserve. Eternal life with God, both now and forever reconciliation with our creator so that we can dwell with him life that does not end in death but continues in his presence forever and the transformation of our hearts so that we can know god and honor god and obey him and follow him and truly know him in a real real relationship romans six twenty three mirrors the truth of this passage For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Jesus chose to die to rescue us. That is how radically committed God is to saving humanity. That is how radically committed he is to his love for you and me. That though we deserve judgment, he brings grace. Jesus stood in our place so that we would stand before God forgiven and declared not guilty. That is what we receive when we trust in Jesus hope, forgiveness, a new start. Forgiveness, even when we still sin every day, be granted a new start and the grace to be changed. That is the promise for all who trust in Jesus. Jumping from one end to the Bible to the other, as we often do, there will be another day when God says, enough is enough. When God will look out upon this world and say, it's time for my kingdom to replace this one. Where God will bring a once and for all final judgment on this world and replace it with his perfect world where all who have trusted in Jesus, who have had our sins forgiven, will dwell with him forever, as we did once in the garden. Not because we deserved it, far from it, but because Jesus earned it for us. And on that day, God will make a new heaven and a new earth, where all who have trusted in him will dwell with him there in his direct presence, as the people of God, dwelling in the place of God, in the presence of God, where life is what it was meant to be in the garden. But we can only enter that kingdom by having our sins forgiven through trusting in Christ. There is no middle ground. We either trust in Christ and have our sins forgiven, saved by God like Noah and his family, or we pay for our own sins like the people swept away in the flood. The beautiful truth, though, is that we have placed our trust in Jesus, and we need not fear God's negative judgment. Rather, we look forward to dwelling with him forever. We look forward to the day where he sets up his kingdom visibly. And in the time in between, we seek to tell others about his kingdom, about his grace, about his love for humanity and his love for people to save them by trusting in Christ. We look forward to one day returning to what we lost in Eden. Let us pray, Lord. We thank you that though you are just, you are also merciful. We don't deserve your mercy, and that you and your kindness have chosen to extend that—not not in some trite way, not in some simplistic way, but in the way that costs the blood and breath and life of your own son. And how could we ever say thank you? Lord, help us to continue to embrace this reality, to hold fast to that truth, and to honor you in gratitude with our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.